can be completely weak because of kryptonite. And disobedience is our own personal kryptonite. Disobedience weakens us in the things of God, where all of a sudden we become exceedingly vulnerable, you know? And so God wants you to be strong. He wants to build you up. God wants you in your obedience. It's you getting strong. He says, listen, I want you to be obedient because I want you to be strong. Why? Because I want you to go in and possess the land. Every superhero has some kind of weakness, something that will break down the walls of their superpower. What you may not realize is that if you're a follower of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit is your superpower, working in you for good. But something that will cause that effectiveness to break down is when you choose to disobey God's commands, disregarding the things that God cares about. Today, Pastor Daniel talks about being spiritually strong. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 11 as he continues his message, The Reward for Your Actions. In verse 8, look at what it says. It says, Therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers and to give to their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you had come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden, but the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. I don't know about you guys, when I read some of this stuff, it kind of gets me excited. Because you hear what the Lord's saying. He's saying, listen, he's saying, I want you to be obedient. And then you get this beautiful phrase in the middle of verse 8. Be strong. When we are obedient to the Lord, then we're strong in the Lord. We're in the power of his might. We're walking in the spirit. So what you don't realize is that disobedience is like your own personal kryptonite. When we are disobedient to the Lord, it begins, you know, you guys remember kryptonite. You guys all know Superman, right? And if you don't, I'll tell you. If I don't want to spoil it for you, though. It's like, so if you don't know Superman, you don't ever want to hear it. Cover your ears for a second. I don't want to spoil it for you. But like Superman, they call him Superman for a reason because he was super. You know, the dude could fly. You know, the dude could do this crazy stuff. But if kryptonite was around, he was as wimpy as I am. Like Superman could break every powerlifting record. But if kryptonite was around, he couldn't even lift up a grain of rice. A man who is strong can be completely weak because of kryptonite. And disobedience is our own personal kryptonite. Disobedience weakens us in the things of God, where all of a sudden we become exceedingly vulnerable, you know? And so God wants you to be strong. He wants to build you up. God wants you in your obedience. It's you getting strong. He says, listen, I want you to be obedient because I want you to be strong. Why? Because I want you to go in and possess the land. See, this is about God giving his people home, a place to call their own, a place to flourish and blossom. 
right? And, and it's beautiful because what he says, he says, not only am I going to give you the land, in verse 9 he says, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord. He's like, look, no, no, I want you to go in. I want you to go in. I want you to stay in. I don't want to give you a temporary blessing. I want to give you a permanent blessing. And this is the land that I promised to Abraham, and I promised to Isaac, and I promised to Jacob. This is the fulfillment of all the promises that you see. We call it the book of Genesis. That's just their history. Well, the Lord God said he was going to do this. He was going to do this. And God's saying, I want you to be strong. I want you to go in. I want you to dwell in that land. And then he starts to talk about the land, and God gets himself a little bit excited. He's like, look, the land that I'm giving you, it's awesome. That's what he's saying here. It's like... For the land that you go in to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you had come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. He's saying, he's saying, remember when you were in Egypt, you would plant your seeds and you'd have to go with water and you'd be carrying buckets of water, you'd be trying to water the land, coming up with irrigation. He's like, this land that you're going into, water comes from heaven. It's like Vancouver, Washington. You know what I mean? It's like, you, don't, you never thought about the fact, but like in an agrarian culture, long before Costco and Chuck's and Fred Meyer's and all these places, it's like you had to grow your own stuff. And if you had a famine and without water that gets tapped into your house, that's carbon, you know, cleansed and all the stuff that we have today. Before that, if the rain stopped in the land, everybody starved. And you find that in places in the Bible. It's like, look, the land that you're going into, you don't have to carry around water. You don't have to have a super long hose. It rains. The stuff grows. And he's saying, this is a blessing. I mean, verse 11, but the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven. And notice this, not only is it a good land which gets good water, you don't have to irrigate the thing, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord, your God, are always on it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. So not only is it a great spot of land flowing with milk and honey, and you remember that flowing with milk and honey, honey was the only sweetener in that day, right? It was long before high fructose corn syrup or Splenda or NutraSweet or Stevia because you're a hippie or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like honey was the business, Honey was the business. It was a natural sweeter. And a land flowing with milk means that there's enough land to graze that all of the cattle could bring forth its milk. Right? So this was long before you can buy your milk in a gallon or a milk guy showed up. It's like you need to have your own cattle and you had to milk those babies. I don't know how that works, but some of you do. It's like if you didn't have good grazing and good water, you're not getting any milk. So when it says a land flowing with milk and honey, it's like this is a land of this abundance. It's like living in a perpetual all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. You know what I mean? It's like where it's like, it's just, there's just, it's like, can I get another egg roll? You want the whole plate? He's like, you want some sushi? You get everything you want. It's right there. That's the land. And he's like, and not only is all this stuff going on, but I love this land and I'm watching it. And from the beginning to the end of the year, every season, the Lord God has got his eyes on that land. God is protecting and caring and nurturing that land. He's like, look, I'm bringing you into a sweet spot. That's what God's saying. I got a good plan for you, but you need to be obedient so you can be strong, so you can take the land. Now, look at what it says in verse 13. It says, and it shall be 
that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil, and I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens, so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. See, what we learn in these verses is that God desires to bless his people. He wants, he's given them this great spot and he wants to be faithful and bless them, but they have a part to play in it. Notice, again, the requests for obedience. And not only just obedience, but to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind. Man, if, if you all don't get anything tonight, just walk away with, I want to obey, I want to love, and I want to serve. If we just take those three takeaways, obedience, a heart's devotion, and self-sacrificial service, if you just take that and run with that, we got it. Because that's all that God wants. Listen, I'm going to obey the Lord, I'm going to do what he says, and I'm going to love the Lord. See, God doesn't just want us to be, as a parent, I just don't want good, obedient children. I mean, that wouldn't be a bad thing, but I actually want my kids to love me too. I want them to think, dad is great. He gave us a chocolate cake. You know what I mean? You can't even make a Bill Cosby reference anymore. And it's like you feel kind of... Anyway, we got to pray for Bill. Anyway, sorry. Moving on. You know, it's like I want my... As a parent, I want my kids to, to love me. It's not a wrong desire. See, and God doesn't want us to be good, obedient Christian people. Like, yes, Lord, yes, praise God. He wants us to be like, man, God, you're so good to me. You love me. I'm returning your love to you. And we serve God by serving other people. The greatest in the kingdom is what? Servant of all. God wants us to be Jesus-like by serving. So get those three things. If you obey him, if you love him, and serve him. And then notice what he says, and it's beautiful. He says, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early and the latter rain. That's for both sets of growth periods, for the fall and the spring harvest. You need the early, and we get that here in Vancouver. We know it. Actually, we get all year rain, you know, except for like the two months of, of sun. But you know what I mean? It's like, he's like, I'm going to give you all the rain that you need. And because you're going to have all the rain that you need, everything that you're going to need for your survival is going to be provided for you. You're going to be able to gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. He's saying, look, if you obey me, and if you love me, and if you serve me, I'm going to take care of everything that you need. I got this for you. But then he says, take heed to yourselves. You know, that's kind of four words that I think we need to maybe underline in our Bibles. Take heed to yourself. So you know what the thing is? This is how life works. Because of who we are, we want to take heed to everybody else. We have the tendency to want to be everyone else's Holy Spirit. We want to be like, okay, yeah, well, you need to get your business together. You know what I mean? But it says take heed to yourself. And I'm here to tell you that all of us have more than enough to deal with 
with ourselves. You got your hands full with you. I got my hands full with me. You know what I mean? And it's like, so take heed to yourself. And that's why Jesus said, if you notice a speck in your brother's eye, take a plank out of your own eye. He's like, look, you're worried about their speck. You got a lumber yard in your own eye. Like, you got a ton in there. So, like, you're worrying about all the wrong stuff. But you know what we do? We worry about the wrong stuff, don't we? Like, the Holy Spirit's really good at his job. And he doesn't need our help. But you know what's amazing? If you go to take the plank out of your own eye, then you're actually, the Spirit will invite you to partner with somebody to help them with the speck in their eye. But when you do it, you're not judging them. You're just going over and saying, listen, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. But I noticed this, and I'm no one to tell you how to live because God's doing a work in me, but I think God's doing something here. And the way that you approach somebody then is humble. It's got a poverty of spirit. You know what I mean? It's got all the things that God loves, and people can receive it then, right? But that only happens if we take heed to ourselves. Are you taking heed to yourself? Or are you getting worked up worrying about everybody else? See, the Spirit wants to do a work in each one of us. But it's amazing how often in this text it comes back again. But hey, don't miss the fact you got to watch yourself. you got to watch yourself. you got to make sure you're obedient. you got to make sure you're loving the Lord. you got to make sure. And God is initiating this relationship, but we have to keep making sure we're responding to it. You know what I realized today? Because it's something I've been thinking about. You know, like, so, like, I get the pleasure of being one of the pastors here at Crossroads, which means, like, Thursday from, like, the moment I get here until right now, it's like, I've been in the service of the Lord. Meetings and things and interviews and this thing and that thing. I got all these, even, like, we're recording a new responding album. I got to go in the studio with my bass and lay down a bass line for Jesus. Holla. You know, it was so fun, you know? But, like, I had these moments where I'm like, I'm not sure that I worshipped very much today. I did all this stuff for Jesus, but I caught myself like, man, I think I missed a couple hours. And, you know, I started thinking about it. I'm like, wow, I'm like, as a husband to Lynn, how many times do I miss a whole evening with her? Like, I'm there, but I'm not there. I'm not aware of it. As a dad, like, how often can I be there with my kids, but I'm not engaged and playful and present with them, you know? And so when I read these words, take heed to yourself, I hear the Lord being like, Daniel, you got enough to deal with right here. I want you to be engaged with your kids. I want you to be a white hot worshiper every day. And the spirit of God is saying, I want to cultivate that in you. But we have to make sure we're taking heed. Because it's so easy to go through a lot of time and do a lot of stuff, even good stuff, godly stuff but actually miss out on the most important things. So take heed to yourselves. Allow the Spirit of God, as David wrote, search my heart and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You're saying, Holy Spirit, do your good work in me. Search me, know me, reveal yourself in me and show me who I am. Take heed to yourself lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, verse 16. Now, this is the curse of affluence, right? He just told me he's gonna bless the land. And you know what happens? They go into the land and it's blessed and they start to turn to other gods. See, something happens when we're not in a place of desperation. 
Like, we get spiritually lazy. It's like when you're in a place of desperation, when there's significant needs, it's like God is the only one who can take care of this, so you press in. But then once God does the thing and you're at a place of ease, like, we have a tendency to back off a little bit. And really what happens is we see God's blessing, but then all of a sudden we forget that God blessed us with it. And so my prayer for us is that each one of us finds ourselves in a state of always being hungry for God. That we're like, Lord, I'm satisfied in you and I want so much more. You know what I mean? Because what happens is it's for a lot of us, when you're walking in God's blessing, you have a tendency to forget that God has done all this. And you begin to ascribe it to other things, like ascribing it to ourselves. I did this. I'm a self-made person. This all happens because of me. That's idolatry. That's self-worship when that happens. And again, when that happens for the people of God, it says the Lord's anger is aroused and he will shut up. Now, I think we need to make sure we clarify here when we start talking about the Lord's anger. We are living on this side of the cross. You have to realize as God's kids, God took out all of his anger for our rebellion on Jesus on the cross. You have to make sure you get that right because so many of us as Christians, we're actually living as if we're pre-death and resurrection of Jesus. No, no, no. We're on the other side of the cross. All of God's anger against sin, he took out on Jesus on the cross. And if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, God is not angry with you, but you can grieve his heart because of his great love for you. So some of you right now think God is angry with you. He's not angry with you. He took out all of that anger, righteous anger, at Jesus at the cross. That's the finished work of Jesus. That is why Jesus is absolutely so important because God is not angry with you. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus. And God punished Jesus for all the stuff that you're doing right now. And God wants us to respond to that grace and say, Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. See, that's how transformation happens. It's not self-help, pull your bootstraps up. It's us learning how to respond to the grace of God. And what's amazing is when you respond to the grace of God, the Bible calls that repentance. That word literally means to turn back, to turn from your own way back to God. And that is a response to the grace of God. It's a response to the promptings of the Spirit. And I know that in each one of our lives right now, that's what God is doing, right? He's prompting us, saying, oh, no, 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 stop that. Oh, no, 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 don't do that. No, no, you used to, don't go back to that stuff. That stuff's no good for you. And each one of us needs to just respond to that and turn back to the Lord and say, oh, sorry, Lord. But he's not angry at you. And if you're one of those people who think that God is angry with people, you need to read your Bible and you need to pray. Because God's not angry at you. You have to understand what the cross of Jesus Christ was all about. We have a tendency to think with a old covenant mindset in a new covenant age. And God wants to transform us into people who understand grace, who understand that God's not mad. See, like, when my kids do something wrong, I shouldn't be mad at them. My heart will grieve because of their decisions, but my anger will never produce the righteousness of God in my kids. And isn't that what our Bible says? The anger of man will not produce the righteousness of God. But what will? It's the goodness of the Lord that leads a person to repentance. See, it's God's great love and it's grace. And so if you're one of those people who thinks God is angry at you, stop that. That's not what the Bible says. 
We're on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm so great. We're in this age of grace, what we call the last days. And if you're one of those people who think that God is angry at Christians, you got to stop that too. Because God's not angry at his kids. He loves them. Now, you're saying, well, what about people who aren't Christian? Yes, God wants to forgive them. There's enough power in the cross to forgive them, but if they will not receive Jesus, then they will be responsible for all the mistakes that they made on themselves, and they will be the recipients of God's anger. But not because God is angry at them. God already provided the provision for their salvation, but they rejected it. And I think this is an important, again, another one of those distinctions we need to make. Someone is bound to say, well, I don't want to believe in a God who would condemn someone to hell. I'm like, listen, you're not thinking about this properly. You have a disease that is terminal, And Jesus is the antidote. He is the prescription. Now, if you choose not to take the antidote, you can't get mad at God for providing the prescription to heal you. It's your fault. God could have hold you down and jam it down your throat, but that wouldn't be quite perfect of God, would it? But we like, I don't want to, no. All of humanity has a death sentence, and Jesus is the fix. He is the great physician. He is the great healer. So God's not mean. God has provided. The problem is, is you're not taking the medicine. And when you do that, you're saying, I'm smarter than God. And guess what? You know that's not true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're not even smarter than the people sitting next to us. I mean, you're all smarter than I am. I'm sure of that. You know what I mean? So it's like, and God is the all-knowing one. Okay. Let's move on to the next section. Okay, verse 18. Look at what it says. Therefore, you shall... Yeah, always say that again. When you hear the therefore, what do you say? What's it there for? You guys are good. You guys are Bible scholars. I love this. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. Now, this is a a recapitulation or a reiteration of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. Remember the great Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then it goes through all this thing. You shall teach them to your children. You shall bind them on your hands and on the frontlets of your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts and on your gates. See, what this is, is this is a reminder that God wants his word to be ever present in our lives. That we have a responsibility to disciple our children, to pass forward the faith that has been entrusted to us to the up and coming generation. I love that our kids ministry is radically fun, but rigorously biblical. Because fun is the way to get God's word into kids, not being serious, putting them in a classroom for another day. Today, Pastor Daniel provided a good reminder of the importance for parents to be discipling their children. This isn't something that comes naturally or easily, but with intention, there's much for children to gain from the experience you have. What are some things you can remember from today's message to take along with you for yourself or for those that you're training up? Training your kids is biblical. It's eternally rewarding. Hey, everybody, Pastor Daniel here. 
I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I wanna begin to follow Jesus. I wanna help you do that right now. We're gonna pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when you'll learn more about this passage from Deuteronomy. So much of what you hear around you is subjective opinion based on a person's experience rather than rooted in anything else of substance. But Pastor Daniel wants you to take what might seem like a radical view at this point and base your foundation in God's word for direction for your life. Hear more next time. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Refresh. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.